back to order, uh, uh, my time was taken up more so with the morning service uh, this week, and uh, I didn't have proper time to look at Psalm 5, but I had uh, done some work on Psalm 8 before, so I thought for economy of effort, uh, we would look at Psalm 8 tonight and hopefully uh, go back and look at 5, 6, and 7 uh, in, in the following weeks. But tonight we're going to look at Psalm 8. We were going to get there anyway. Uh, and let's read that uh, together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You ha uh, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, Psalm 8 uh, introduces us to uh, one of the, the first joyful uh, compositions, one of the more joyful psalms in the Psalter. Uh, some of the early psalms are quite intense. We've seen the rebellion of the nations. We've seen the betrayal of Absalom. And Psalm 5, 6, and 7 carry along that theme of struggle. And Psalm 8 comes to us as a kind of a breath of fresh air, as it were, from the stream of heaviness that has been characterizing the psalms. Uh, so far. Uh, Derek Kidner said that this psalm is uns an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be, celebrating as it does the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating uh, us and our world to him, all with a masterly economy of words and in a spirit of mingled joy and awe. What a high praise that he gives this psalm in such a, a, a small number of words, uh, giving us a, a, an understanding of man and uh, other things, but at the same time, the psalm is about God's greatness. It begins and ends with God's glory. And that's what we see here, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then, it ends with this in the same vein. And uh, isn't that true of the Bible as a whole, really? Uh, it starts off in a garden. It ends with the tree of life in the book of Revelation. It begins in a garden, but it, end, it, it, it begins with a garden and ends in a city. Uh, and in both places, you have creation and recreation. And in both places, again, you see the glory of God. Uh, and God's majesty. But this psalm is really not simply speaking of God's majesty out there, uh, as say Psalm 19 does, uh, but the, he, he is drawing attention to God's majesty in terms of 
some unlikely places. And again, Psalm 19 is much like that as well. Where is the glory of God? Where is the revelation of God seen in Psalm 19? But in the stars, the heavenly host, but also your word, O God. He, he, that's a wonderful thing about Psalm 19. He, he shows the, 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 the majesty of God in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then the word of God is perfect. It's amazing the way that he draws that connection there. The revelation of God in creation, but then the revelation of God in the word that speaks of his redemption, of God's amazing acts in the world. And in many ways, that's what we see here in Psalm 8. We see the majesty of God in in. Uh, in all the earth, and how he has set his name above the heavens, but he is also then drawing attention to God's acts of how he gets glory for his name through here children from infants and from mankind. And so we, we begin with the majesty of God in creation, but takes an unlikely turn. And if you are reading Psalm 19, for example, uh, you might, for the first time, you might say, this is an unlikely turn as well. Why wouldn't God continue to celebrate the heavens and the glory of the heavens and the, the, and the, the cosmos and so on, and just continue on in that vein? But he takes a sharp turn to say, your word. Why? Because he is, God's majesty and glory go from the outward down to the the small and sometimes the overlooked and the insignificant and that's oftentimes where people are not looking but where Christians are to look that's where we are to look and that's where we come in and again the psalm is not about us although it contains things about children and and mankind and so on but it's really about God. It starts off, how majestic is your name, and ends with, how majestic is your name. It's celebrating how God reveals His majesty and glory through these things. And so, uh, he, he begins and ends with these bookends of God's majesty. Uh, one person has said that the gift of God's very name to Israel in the Exodus event was an act of radical self-revelation by which he made himself known and accessible to the people that he has taken as his own. It was a gift to them. I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am uh, the one who does not change. I am that I am. And so uh, this was God saying to them, he revealing his name to them and his majesty through his acts of faithfulness. I am the God that does not change. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am revealing myself as a God who is a covenant-keeping God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as I was to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 400 years ago, so I am now. Now go down to Egypt and I will continue to make my glory, glorious name known there. And uh, to see then God's glory, and to see God's majestic name, is to see Him as He really is. To reveal Himself like that. And 
there's so many uh, names for God in the Bible, aren't there? El Shaddai, uh, Jehovah Jireh, uh, all of these names. And then it comes to a full crescendo uh, in the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the heavens again open up, where there is a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God for His revelation in Jesus His Son. You shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And again, it, it draws in both heaven and earth. Heavens are alive now with the, the, the uh, proclamation of God's glorious name. And so it very much has to do with, uh, oftentimes we look at this psalm at Christmas time because it connects the majesty and glory of God's name with the incarnation and how God was now making himself known. You remember, he declared his name in the Exodus. What is your name, Moses says. And he said, I am that I am. Who shall I say? is sending me to you. Say, I am has sent you. So there was a revelation of the majestic name of God. And now, in the second exodus, where the greater Moses comes, he reveals his name again in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And so you see an outpouring of God's majesty in the most unlikely ways. Again, not in the, the moon and the stars and the cosmos, but in the things that Jesus says, the things that Jesus does, in the washing of feet, and in uh, the healing of lepers, in the restoring of people's souls, in the proclamation of salvation. Things that even the angels would not have uh, even guessed. So these words resound with a fresh uh, a glory as we ourselves are able in the light of what Jesus has done to take these words and say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name uh, in all the earth. And so he describes how God's glory is made known. Uh, you have set the majesty of Your name in all the earth your glory above the heavens. Another has said that the greatness of God is seen in the vastness of His creation, both in the power to use the weakness of man to overthrow the mighty and in His ability to manage His creation. This is where, I, as I said at the beginning, we see an unlikely turn. Uh, because, again, if you are reading this for the first time, which we are not, but if you were, you would be expecting a certain line of thinking. You would be expecting the psalmist to go on about God's majestic work in creation. But he, right out of the gate, in verse 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So it takes, like Psalm 19, a curious turn. Because the psalmist is wanting us to see God's majesty not only in the cosmic things, in the big ticket items, but in children, in little things. 
seeing his majesty in the small, in the everyday, in the Sunday to Sunday, in the bringing up of children, and in revealing his glory through weakness, through the things that the world would overlook or even uh, despise. And so, uh, we see uh, this uh, language then taken up by Jesus as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And uh, the, the children are singing His praises. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, seeing that this is a direct fulfillment of Psalm 8. Have you not read that out of the mouths of babes God has ordained praise? And here were His enemies. Here were the enemies, the the, the scribes and the Pharisees and everyone that was set against Jesus. And and behind that, of course, was the power of darkness. Was the devil himself. As they sought to silence these young children as they were coming in, as Jesus was coming in and He was receiving their praise as He was being enthroned on their praises, the power of darkness was at work. And yet Jesus sees this as a direct fulfillment of this psalm. That God's majesty and glory would not be seen so much in the, the cosmos, in the sun and the moon and the stars and all these different things, but in the redemption of His people. Jesus went on to say that if these were silent, even the rocks would cry out. And so there, Jesus' enemies were defeated. As it says here, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. It's curious that you look at Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? They take their stand against the Lord and they're anointed. How was that applied in the New Testament? To the rulers and the leaders in Israel. Not to the nations, not to the Philistines, not to the Romans. but to the. And here again, Psalm 8 becomes a living indictment against even the rulers and the teachers of the law within Israel. It's curious. That, God, that the devil was working so powerfully, and yet in weakness, through children, through little ones, God is getting praise for His name. Jesus praised the, the Father for that. I thank You, O Father, that You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. I was reading today about Karl Barth, who was a a, a theologian, a biblical theologian, uh, in the early part of the 20th century. He had written written a large dogmatic theology. Evangelicals don't agree with Barth on everything, but uh, he was asked at a conference to sum up your life's work. That would be a hard thing to do. Sum up your life's work for us. And he said, yes, I will. And he says, it is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
And here was this great man, this great theologian, boiling it down to that. The, a song that even little children can sing. His whole life's work as a Christian, as a, as a, a, a massive theologian, a massive intellect, and he expressed it in words that a child could articulate. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And in those words, what Bart was saying was uh, to, that uh, God can get glory for his name even through the utterances of little children. One person has said that this should be a huge encouragement for young mothers who spend their days wiping noses and cleaning up spills, folding little hands before meals and singing songs while changing diapers. Step back and see the big picture. God is making His name majestic in the world through you. God is establishing His strength in the world through your children as they learn to praise Him. In other words, how is God's name majestic in all the earth? How has He uh, uh, set His glory above the heavens and His name above the earth? Bring in the children. Let's bring in the weak. Let's bring in the unlikely. Let's bring in the weak things of the world. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. And so here is where God's name is shown to be majestic. And this is where Christians are to be looking. We're to be looking around our churches and our families and our children and our grandchildren as we teach them, as we teach them the songs, as we teach them Bible verses, as we teach them to praise God. That things are happening in an unseen way. Unseen realities are being affected. And so, we have that momentous occasion when Jesus... Isn't it incredible? There is Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that donkey and the, the children are there. Why, do they, why are they recorded? Why are they being brought in? They're there in the Word of God for a reason. Not just for us to be sentimental about children, because real weapons are being fashioned in those children as they're being taught the Word of God, as they're being taught to trust in God and to praise God. And so, he is trying to explain here why it is that God's name is majestic. The cosmos? Yes. The moon and the stars? Yes. But he is so majestic that he has, he, his, his sovereignty is such, his majesty is such, that he has ordained the defeat of the principalities and powers through little children, whose words, whose praise defy the powers of darkness and fulfill his purposes. Secondly, he says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You see, there's kind of a, a parallel here, isn't there? He starts off by saying, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your, your glory above the heavens. 
and so on, and then children. And he goes back to the heavens. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, it's man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you should care for him. In other words, bring in exhibit two, through which God glorifies his name, makes his name majestic. That in this universe that we are in, God has given a special place to us. Maybe you've seen that picture, uh, the, the, the pale blue dot, right? Carl Sagan, when he, the, the, the atheist scientist, when he saw that, he said, there, that should prove our insignificance when you see that pale blue dot. And yet the psalmist would say, no, it shows the magnificence of God, the majesty of God, because God has set mankind, we, above as, 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 as those who are given a special place in His creation. That God, the God, the Creator of all that, pays attention to man. And that He is mindful of him and that He cares for him. And He made him uh, a little lower than the angels. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the seas. See? Here's the second way in which God gets glory for His name by taking this unlikely species of man and giving Him dominion. Creating Him in such a way to have dominion over all that God has made. And to reflect Him. To reflect His glory. And so man becomes the the, the, the crown of God's creation. And in doing so, it is a reflection of God's majesty. Just as the weakness of children was reflecting the ability of God to defeat the enemy, so man is also a reflection of how God uses weakness to display His glory. He reveals His majesty by using weak people to do a great and wonderful work. He uses mankind to do His great work of bringing glory to His name. Not only through work, not only through creation, but even in, again, in our weakness. Look at what he says uh, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Paul talks about this 4 and verse 7. Early on, in verse 5, it says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ there is his theme of creation and creation as it particularly relates to man but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So again, there's that way in which God has worked in man through redemption, using the language of creation, light out of darkness, shining in our hearts, and now He has set man apart for the purpose of what? Of making His majesty known. Even, at, even in our weakness. Paul will go on later on to talk about his thorn in the flesh. I pleaded with the Lord three times to take this from me. God said that He wouldn't, but that His His uh, his power was ma manifest in, in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And therefore, Paul realized that his higher calling was to manifest the glory of God in his struggle, in his weakness, so that God's grace might be made known, so that that might be elevated. And that might be the calling with each one of us here tonight. The weakness that we feel whether it be physical or spiritual or whatever our struggle is, God is saying, just like with Paul's thorn in the flesh, I'm going to leave it there. Whatever that situation is in your life, whatever that struggle is that you've been having, so that it may be said, how excellent in all the earth, O Lord, is Your name. Just as You are manifesting Your glory, not just through the stars and the moon and the cosmos, but in the unlikely places of children and man, so, Lord, now through Christ and through the work of salvation and redemption, You have set me apart. Not simply to deliver me from all my problems and difficulties, but in my weakness in my frailty to bring glory to your name. And so Paul says, therefore I will rejoice all the more in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Death is at work in me, but life in you, in, in, in those who hear him. So that we become the willing submissive servants of God just as Paul did as he submitted himself just as Mary did by saying behold the servant of the Lord that through weakness through vulnerability 
just as many of our brothers and sisters around the world are doing tonight, through their absolute vulnerability to a hostile culture, savage treatment, unspeakable treatment, who knows what's happening to believers in the Evian prison in, in Iran, in Tehran tonight. Who knows what's happening to believers. In, and yet, through that unspeakable weakness, the name of God is being proclaimed. How excellent in all the earth, O Lord, is your name. He is getting praise. He is working out His glorious will through the weakness of man, through the tender praises of children. Through all of these things, He is getting glory for His name. And that may be uh, the way it is with you and I this evening. And when we find ourselves in those places that we sometimes don't want to be in, we need to sometimes realize that just as it was with Paul, being brought to a place of weakness, just as it is for many Christians around the world, finding themselves in a state of being very vulnerable, God can deliver, God can save, God can bring us out of those situations, but for the sake of His glory, He doesn't. He's able even to cause the wrath of man to praise Him. He's able to do all of that. So the, the psalmist here then takes a curious turn in this psalm. As he moves from the majesty of God above the earth and above the heavens, draws our attention to the unlikely way in which God gets praise for His name from little children and executes His will through mankind. And now, when you factor into the, in the cross, factor Jesus into that and the work of redemption, the praise that He's now receiving from man because of Christ, and that's what Hebrews 2 is all about, and why that pulls that in. We do not yet see all things, but we see Him. We see Jesus. Who turns everything around. Who, uh, who enlightens it. He causes even our pain and our suffering to bring glory to God. So that it has a whole new framework. And in that, as we look at the majesty of God in our lives, how do we see it? How do we understand it? How is God praised? You go to Isaiah, uh, uh, I think it's 66. I might be wrong, but I could look at that. Uh, uh, yes. Um, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me in this place? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. This is what God is saying. All these things, the heavens and the earth, I have made them. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one that grabs my attention. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, God is saying, I, yeah, I created all of that. The stars, the moon, the cosmos. My name is exalted above the heavens and above the earth. But he, where am I getting the greatest glory for my name? 
Paul says in Ephesians that God is manifesting His wisdom through the church. Through vulnerable, unlikely, broken, weak people like you and I as we struggle on. This is why here God is saying, yeah, I made all those, but one. this is, this is the one that I'm going to look at. There He is. There she is. Trembling at My Word. Trembling with joy. Trembling with fear. Trembling believing in Me. Believing that My Word is true. Believing that My promises are faithful. And even in their affliction, they are still holding forth. They are still keeping the faith. Fighting the good fight. That's the one that I will look at. And here in this psalm, God is saying, heaven and earth, yes. But have you seen the little children? Have you heard the words coming from their mouths? Have you seen my servants upon this earth who are now reflecting my glory in their dominion and in redemption and in grace and in mercy? Have you seen those people in disable week after week uh, going through that, what they go through in their lives, in their maybe their physical struggles, maybe their spiritual struggles, maybe their financial struggles, and they're still there on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. They're still coming to praise God, seeking me, seeking my face. Have you seen them? And these are the opportunities that God gives us to then enter into the wonder of this psalm, and not just say that it's some pie-in-the-sky song, but it comes home to the smallest among us, the least among us, the little children. And so that, that gives new uh, uh, impetus to look at our children and our grandchildren in a whole different way. To say that the work that we do in the Lord in this regard is not in vain. And even when we find ourselves in those places of weakness, as people, as men and women, we can still say that God's majesty is being revealed, that the glory of His name is being made known as I serve Him, as I honor Him, as I keep believing and keep coming back again and again, even in the face of life's difficulties. Oh Lord, our Lord. That's what we're saying. Oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is Your name in all the earth. Or as they say in the book of Revelation, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. All that I'm going through, all my daily ins and outs, the routines, the ups and downs, worthy is the Lamb. Let's pray.